Hello and welcome to the Transport Workers Union Air Division Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Parker, and joining me today is international VPs and negotiators for the American Airlines contract, Gary Peterson and Andre Sutton. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. I've asked you guys to join me today. I know that we've been in contentious negotiations. Uh, the company has stated that there's a stall and the stall is on the union and the, that the union's not coming to the table and not negotiating. Those words were spoken at the town hall by Doug Parker. And so I want to talk a, a little bit about some of the things that were said specifically at the uh, State of the Airline address with Doug Parker, Robert Isom. And so I want to have you guys, like I say, I'm not in negotiations. Doug Parker's not in negotiations. Robert Isom's not in negotiations. So there were several things said between Doug, Robert, and several TWU members, and none of us are actually in negotiations. So I wanted to bring the two of you on the call today and see if you could talk about some of the comments that were made. And Gary, if I could, I'd like to start with you. You know, he made a comment, something about the other work groups already getting a deal done, the pilots and the flight attendants, and they were able to get a deal done pretty quickly. Let's talk about why that is and uh, what's different with the negotiations with the association. Yeah, I mean, let's just start. APA and APFA, when the merger took place, they were in um, a different process. They were in a binding arbitration and certain aspects of the contract were off the table. And again, I, I know we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but both those work groups, if you go and talk to pilots and flight attendants, you'll find that they got money but their work rules were, were decimated and their work rules are very similar to what we call our scope. Their scope wasn't, wasn't so to speak, they, the company didn't gain the ability to outsource their jobs, but they were able to get work um, rule concessions that equaled tens of millions of dollars through that arbitration, finding arbitration process. And in, in, in concert with that, the, the pilots, the flight attendants got better wages. That doesn't mean that they're happy with the contract. In fact, when the vote went out on the flight attendance agreement, I think, at least I hope everybody recalls, they rejected their agreement. Now on the agent side, you have to remember that when the company negotiated with the agents, you had the former legacy US Airways group was unionized and that was their negotiating team. And the American agents were non-union. So they had one agreement that they were working off of. And in that negotiations, they didn't have two uh, agreements to try and push together. They had one agreement and then they had company policy or company rules that the company could always change. So those folks wound up with an agreement that's binding on the union now and on the company where they didn't have that for both parties before. They only had that for the legacy uh, U.S. side and then the legacy American were, you know, really the big scheme of things at will employees. We, on the other hand, were both organized groups. We were merged into the association through the NMB, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. And now that we're there, we're, we're negotiating from two agreements, which the original statement was, pick from either agreement. You can have what you want out of either agreement. And then the narrative quickly changed to, we're willing to give you the best pay, because I think the company realized that both agreements had some goodness in them and they're not willing to give us that goodness specifically around scope. Okay, so there is a big difference, obviously, with the uh, pilots, the flight attendants, and them being able to get a contract through binding arbitration and us not being tied to that to where we could actually have a little bit of freedom to negotiate. Is that correct? 
Yeah, and, and the pilots, I mean, if you've read some of the statement out of the pilots groups, they're, they're not thrilled at the process of their negotiations and the companies out there saying we want to get it done in a year. The pilots have a very meticulous negotiating process this time around, as is APFA, because they are now in a Section 6 environment negotiating the contract, not in a binding arbitration environment. Got it. And, uh, Andre, let's talk, uh, if you would, for a minute, the company always says uh, the best pay in the industry and the best pay, and we'll put you at the top of the pay scale of the other airlines. Uh, there's a difference between best pay and best overall compensation. Can you talk a little bit about that? So when the proposals were first being talked about, they wanted to have the industry-leading contract. And a lot of us wanted to know what did that mean? What did that look like? So it then it transitioned into the best wages in the industry. Well, we already knew that wages were going to come anyway. That isn't, that wasn't the big bang, but what was is that work that we currently do and currently own today, we wanted to own it moving forward. And subsequently there's been language just being introduced to the TWU side of the house and it's when and where so directed that gives the company flexibility for relief whenever they deem necessary. And the counterparts on the IAM side of the house, they don't particularly care for that language either. And that takes away a lot of ownership. And, and you know, when you couple that with the fact that you'll have a job today, you know, your job is, is protected in your station, what happens when a person leaves that station and let's say transfers to a different station? Does his protection go away? It's open-ended, if you will, because there's a lot of things that we have put together in our scope proposal to the company that outlines ownership where they're trying to take ownership away in their proposals. I noticed that uh, at the state of the airline, Doug made several references, you know, basically that the union didn't want to get a deal. Uh, he made comments about uh, that the union was only trying to protect the union and not trying to protect their uh, team members, as he referred to it. And he throws that term team members around a lot. And he's been uh, he's been called on a, on out on that by a few, myself being one of them. I do believe there are teams, but I believe we're on different teams. You know, and I mentioned it, uh, when I stood up and spoke um about that you know i i don't remember actually i don't recall if i said it this time or last time i've spoke several times but, but gary can you talk about team members you know a little bit uh, speak about brazil are those guys team members yeah well that's so there's a couple pieces to that one is um when the company wants to refer to us as team members um First, we're union members, and, and that's what we are. And we have to protect each other. That's collective bargaining. And there's a reason we're in a union, because when when, we're, when we let the company run the team, we lost our pensions. We lost our profit sharing. We went through bankruptcy. We had work rules stripped. And, and it's the same conversation today. They just want to re-script the narrative. They want our membership to buy into the trust us, we're going to take care of you philosophy, and I believe in the we don't trust you. What it needs to say on that piece of paper is the only thing our membership can trust they have. And so um, that's what we're working towards, where we, we write on, on the contract. The contract is written as a contract, not as a when and where so directed type of agreement that today I could be working next to Andre and tomorrow 
if I left a company, they could bring in an outsourced vendor and say, well, it's when and where directed and we choose not to use you here. That's why scope's so critical on the fleet side. Now let's talk on the maintenance side. The American employees, and they're American employees in South America, to your point, Brian. So they want to increase that outsourcing just in line maintenance. And we'll go into base in a minute, but just line um, by 5%. They today are at a 7% if you switch from maintenance spend over to man hours. They're at 7%, and they're bumping against that cap. And we've, we've in, in conversation, agreed that, that that metric's right. And so by adding that additional 5%, that's about 550,000 man-hours that they can outsource. And, and while they're American Airlines employees, they're not part of our bargaining unit. They're not jobs in America. Those are jobs that are they are going to go somewhere else. But you have to listen closely to what they say. They talk about team members. Well, those people that work for American and South America are their team members. But they're not our union members. Two different teams, different, looking for different outcomes. So you're, you're exactly right in what you're saying. Compound that with the 2,300 base jobs that they've clearly articulated that they're, they're, they're looking to get rid of. And then you take Title II um, in the facilities maintenance jobs, and you come up with about 5,000 jobs in the aircraft maintenance world that are there today that are under our collective bargaining agreement that no longer exists. Flip that around and look at the cost that it costs for this contract that they always brag about. If they get where they want to go, now they're making money on the contract because we did a bad deal. We, we negotiated another quote unquote bad deal for our membership. And all we're looking for is what I love their term, a cost neutral agreement. This is cost neutral, and the number of people we have is the number of people doing the work tomorrow is what we're looking for. There's an ebb and flow in that. We understand that. But the reality is it needs to look and feel, those are their words, it, needs, it feels like um, they're trying to push us out the door, and I find it ironic that Doug Parker says the exact opposite thing, that it should look the same as it does today. Well, if it should look the same as it does today, then it's pretty easy to get to the math we need on both fleet maintenance MLS, MCT, and, and if there needs to be an ebb and flow because of the way things happen, then we can entertain that. But there's only one thing, and that's flow out the door as people attrit out through whatever process. Okay, Andre, I want to go to you and touch on a little bit about what Gary said and, and going back to what Doug said. So when Doug stands up there, he makes reference that the union says that, that you know, we're trying to get rid of, rid of work, and, and that's not true. We're wanting to bring more people in and hire more people. And then Robert stands up and talks about, well, we're, yeah, we're going to uh, outsource de-icing and, you know, and, and the when and where so directed language, which is a scope language. Talk a little bit about that on the fleet side. Explain the language, if you will, and talk about, you know, protecting the work. So the position the union has taken in the room is to preserve the work that we're currently doing today. That means we own it today. We want to own it tomorrow and forever. Now, here's what is dynamically different from our viewpoint and, and with the company. When you're now inserting when and where so directed language, the example that I gave in LA was I have an outbound bag room on the PM ship that has 100 people working. And let's just say, hypothetically, 40 people take a buyout. That leaves me with 60. With this language, the company can go and take the, the approach to say, I'm going to move these 60 folks 
to lying jobs, and I'm going to vendor out the whole entire bag room on the PM ship. So there's a big difference in saying that we have we have work, you'll continue to have a job, but will I continue to have the job that I do today or have the seniority to hold today? Because Gary has mentioned this in several conversations that we've had, is that as you shrink, so does your seniority. And you busted your backside for a great number of years to gain a lot of seniority. And then subsequently, you plateau. This agreement, it doesn't outline exactly what they claim that they're not going to do. And it, what it does, it does leave things open-ended for suggestion later, and that we would have to end up arguing over ownership of the, of the work. So when you look at when you look at the position that the union has taken, it's 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 very simple. We're not asking for things that we don't have. We're asking to keep the things that we do have. Now, there was a a conversation that that came up along with the de-icing when they talked about um, contracting out in Dallas. And and every I've worked in Dallas twice, so that's been a long-standing history of de-icing. In, in DFW. So some of the things that we captured in our proposal was where are we doing the icing today? So we had something like 20 cities that we actually do the ice and they, they want to dwindle it down to say maybe four or five cities, excluding Dallas. So that's a concession. And for some reason it's hard for the company's negotiators to understand that what you are presenting us, is it comes along with give backs. And frankly, we've been in positions twice that we know of in recent history where we have to give back, give back, and give back. And there, and there's a price associated with, with being the largest carrier in the world. They chose this, they wanted this, and now they don't want to pay for integral details. Because again, the devil is in the details. There's a lot of things that are not being mentioned on these bullet points that come out on JetNet or some of the things that actually get discussed in, say, some of the town hall meetings. But there is a lot of detail that are not being discussed. And that's where the real damage comes in. Because once that agreement gets signed, you're stuck with it. And then it's a, it's a whole different fight after that. I agree. Um, well said. Gary, touch on... Uh... Touch on some of the cities. I know that that was mentioned at the in the videos. Can you touch on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to use some examples for you know, again, for the fleet service folks. I think it's about where where we're staffed, 40 cities, and this just for me is kind of a crazy one. But you know, the proposal by the company would be we would do water and labs in 17, and those are named, and then in the other 23, it's when and where directed. That seems like us that doesn't make sense that seems like something that the company should you know pull back from and then that's the negotiations then we might have some other areas where we could move on um on the and i'm just speaking out loud andre i mean it's just that's negotiations on the maintenance side you know we're going to name cities where we're going to have aircraft maintenance and i want to talk about their statements on united in a minute because i think it's 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 an optics that our membership needs to understand but on the maintenance side while we have aircraft maintenance in these cities, as the work is outsourced, those cities will have 
mechanics there and stock clerks there, but we'll shrink because the work that we currently do when those people are trid out won't be there. It'll be south of the border in their 5% line in outsourcing increase. It's just, it's just a fact. I mean, there's no, there's no denying this. And that's the part that frustrates me from the company's perspective. They make it out like it's no big deal because we're going to pay you a wage rate that's higher than somebody else. Um, the latest is we're going to match you with Southwest at their pay rate, but that doesn't include all the other elements of their pay for total compensation, which again, that's a facade of money in the left hand equals money in the right hand. It does not. So those are the types of things. And obviously, you know, the title two group is just flat out the facilities maintenance side of this equation goes down to a handful of cities. I can't remember it's four or five from the 20 something we have today, but, but in, in their mind, for whatever reason, they don't view that as concessionary. And I, I, I look at it a little differently to say, forget the cities. Let's look just at numbers. If we have 1700 title two folks and we remain near 1700, then that's not a concession. But if we wind up at 600, somehow that math seems to me that that's a concession. The MLS group follows maintenance. If we're losing thousands of maintenance, aircraft maintenance jobs, then it's pretty clear that you won't need the same number of, you know, stock clerks helping support the operations. These are just facts that are out there. And, and so again, we should be bargaining at the table and, and I'm real frustrated when I believe Steven Johnson made a, a, a comment that we haven't moved. Look, we're, we, we've been very transparent within the rules of what's supposed to happen in negotiations with our membership. And we've talked about the things we, we have moved on. We're willing to move on. We, we, we've moved. Um, I think they need to look in the mirror and see who hasn't moved. And, and it's sad that this is taking place instead of them picking up the phone and saying, let's sit down and talk through this and fight our way through it. And specifically the people that keep talking about it through American aren't in any of these negotiations and they're speaking about it where Andre and I are sitting at the table in every one of these negotiations and can speak about it because we're there. Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, if our members are listening to this and you haven't seen the videos on JetNet, uh, please go watch them because it's not always what they say. A lot of times, as the both of you have pointed out, it's what they don't say. And body language exactly. speaks volumes. So you can watch them stand up there and stammer and stutter around. It's quite obvious that they are not engaged in these negotiations. They're checked out. Uh, you know, they put the calculator out uh, the same day we had the uh, state of the airline. Just a few days after, or a day after, literally after the negotiations. I mean, that tells me, you know, things like that takes a long time to build that calculator. So they had that calculator mm -hmm. preloaded. They came to Fort Lauderdale knowing that they weren't going to get a deal. They went to D.C. knowing that they weren't going to get a deal. They they uh, got there late and, and uh, left early, as I was told. I mean, you know, so obviously they're not trying to get to a deal. Let's move on. Uh, Andre, I want to go to you first on this one. I mean, you know, you listened to the videos. Uh, you were in negotiations. You've been in negotiations since the beginning. I mean, what does it come down to when they say one thing and they do something else? I mean, uh, you know, but I'll let you speak on that. 
All right, well, I'll just say mischaracterization of the facts. Um, when we were working through some of the T8 articles that have already been laid flat, there was negotiation process that was alive and well. There was moves on both sides to get us to the middle. But when we came to classifications, qualification, recognition, and scope, it just came to a halt. So if you could, let's look at a uh, negotiation as a football field. One team is at one-yard line on one side of the field, one-yard line on the other side of the field. And the idea is to get to the 50-yard line. And so in this scope recognition, uh, in uh, classification qualifications, we kind of moved to the 20-yard line because we moved off of some of the things that we were asking for. We tried to look at it from a standpoint and said, look, let's just try to get close to a deal by keeping what we have. So that's, that was the position that we took. So then we kind of like moved, say, to the 25, maybe 30-yard line. But then our counterparts are still on one. They're on yard one. And that's how it's been. That's how it's remained. Anything else, any other movements on our part is going to be concessionary. And I have a hard time getting in front of members and telling them, well, we had to accept this and we had to accept that without putting up a fight for it. Because if you look at it realistically, we have it and we own it and we're doing it today. Why should we give it up? You know, we, we made the sacrifices necessary to make the company healthy now that it is healthy. Uh, we don't want to put any more lifeblood into some of these locations that we're actually looking into trying to obtain and preserve the work. I know there's a lot of dialogue that could happen. It just isn't happening. And there's no face-to-face -face anymore. The way we got the other TAs, we saw it in a room. We hammered things out. And sometimes it wasn't pleasant, but we got it done. But it just seems with these, I call them the big articles, the 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 recognition and scope and classification qualification, they're big articles and there's just no movement on the other side of the house. And, and again, I, I've said this before, sometimes I don't think they fully understand what we're truly asking for in, in scope as far as fleet service. I, I, sometimes I get that impression. They don't fully understand what we're actually asking for. And again, you got to get there by having that dialogue and without people in the room without people walking through the, 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 the article and highlighting uh, when we have started this, I, I don't want to mislead anyone. We have started a process where we actually got to a joint article uh, for, for a classification qualification where we were walking through it and we were doing it jointly. And then again, we get to these hot topic items and then the brakes start pumping. And next thing you know, we now have new language being introduced that we didn't have before. We have never even discussed before, and that's being thrown into the document. So that, that's, that right there makes things uh, volatile. And, you know, and the union is just we, – we have a viewpoint that we just can't move off of, and we feel that we've given enough. We've, we've looked at things realistically enough. And it's just we're, we're to a point now where we just have to work through the remaining issues in the article. I agree. And, uh, you know, staying on your football analogy, and I see how they're doing the negotiations, the company that is, and I, I see how the airline is running. To me, it looks like maybe they've outpunted their coverage. You know, I mean, 
we're just headed downhill fast. Um, Gary, I want to go back to you, and I want to talk about something before we end the call, and uh, that's benefits, you know, retiree benefits, uh, an early out. Can you talk about some of that? Before we do that, though, Brian, I want to go back to the maintenance side of the scope um, real quick because there's been a conversation, um, and, and again, this is you said it earlier about you got to really listen to what they're saying because oftentimes it's it's not people and it, they want to hear what they want to hear, not actually what they say. And it's interesting on United Scope if you listen to them, what they say is that they'll give us the agreement that United has. Yes, that, that, that's a great statement if you're the company. The agreement United has based on United's size would be tantamount to anything we would want to agree to because we're that much larger than them. However, if it was a net-net proposal, which I'd love to see them propose on paper and write to us, that they're willing to do a United deal based on the size of American Airlines, that's the piece that... I get a lot of feedback from our members. Why don't we just do the United deal? Because they're so much smaller than us. We, that's the deal they want. They want the smaller United deal. But if you put it at the right size of American, and I'm just going to go through a couple of things. And, and if it was if their proposal, which they've never written, they talk about because they talk about it in, in their circle of, of um, words missing that you have to pay attention to. It would provide us with retiree medical at 11 or 12 hours a month. It would provide us seven weeks of vacation. It provide a Viva for healthcare. It would have zero line outsourcing. It would have Title II being bigger than it is today. It would have all the base maintenance facilities protected for the folks that are in base maintenance and they can't get rid of the, the facilities. The only thing they really have the ability to do is outsource wide body work, which would bring the narrow body work in-house. They'd have to put millions of dollars in bonus money on the table like they did at United. And they'd also have to offer a buyout that had true language around who, what, where, when, and how. And that was all negotiated through a contract negotiations with the IBT over at United. The difference here is they want to make the statement, but they don't say on the size of American. What they say is we'll give you the United contract and you gotta listen because that's what they mean. At United size and you know, United has two, I think two base facilities covering their agreement. So we're only gonna cover the two base facilities, not the four we have. That is the, the stretch that is in their words. And um, I, I am at the point where I don't believe that, that Jerry Glass is capable of negotiating this agreement because I quite honestly, I don't think he knows how to negotiate outside of bankruptcy where he has the court to help him get through and take whatever he wants. He works for a firm that is known for participating in bankruptcy negotiations. F and H they're a well-known law firm. Uh, he has a branch out of that. The retiree medical is simple. And, and again, I'll go back to 591's guys did a great job of laying out their proposal on retiree medical. How do you retire early if you have no method to get to medical because you can't afford it. They talk about they want to give us a great retirement. A great retirement is a defined benefit pension through a single employer, which they took from us in bankruptcy, and they've now thrown us a 401k. There's a reason why they've gone to 401ks and not defined benefit pensions at companies, and you see it throughout all the companies. It's because it's very, very costly. 
and over the lifespan of people, it gets more costly. I'm going to say what I believe. I think they lie a lot. And again, the early out, we've said we're interested if we can get to an agreement on, on the early out, we'll, we'll consider that. But it must be for the duration of the agreement and for anybody that meets the, the requirements to leave at any time during the, the term of the, the contract. And we've gotten zero response. And that's the typical thing that the other side of the table does. They don't respond. They just ignore. When they don't hear what they want, they ignore it. When they hear things that we're willing to make a move, their ears perk up, they listen, we'll make a move. And what we get back in return is, yeah, we like that, but we're not willing to consider anything you've done. And uh, again, I think that the most critical element of this is we are in a union for a reason. And that is because we don't individually bargain with the company. Yes, people are going to look at it and say, I want the pay. Somebody else is going to look at it and say, I want the early out. But is it really going to be there unless we protect them through the contract language that says, this is the pay you're going to get. This is the early out package that's on the table. This is what retiree medical looks like, by the way. If it's whatever amount of hours, it's contractual. If it's based on what the company's language is, it's similar to current medical. It's whatever they tell us it's going to cost next year based on experience. We have got to get back to a contract that says what we represent for our membership. What they're trying to put in place is a contract that says the company can rewrite the rules whenever it wants, whenever and wherever directed. And in fairness to all of our members on the TW side and on the IM side today, we need to fight through this to get to the other side on scope. I think if we get scope to where we maintain what we have, then the other conversations, like they said, become easier. What they want to do is carve scope out and pay for everything else to the point that they're making money off the contract during the duration of the agreement. It's not costing them any money, these millions, hundreds of millions. Take 5,000 people and, and do it times $75,000, and that's just a middle number um, on the maintenance side, and look at how many zeros wind up getting lined up. And that's all money in their pocket. So uh, I, I, I hope um, we can come to an agreement soon. There's no reason we cannot meet without the enemy. There's no rule against that. Company could pick up the phone and say the five of them or six of them want to sit down at Doug's big table and get business done. Let's go do it. You hit it on the head at the, at the um, state of the airline. Um, they're going to wait for the enemy. And if you remember a couple years ago, I think it was February a year ago, I asked this question to Doug Parker specifically at the State of the Airline. Are you trying to walk us off the property through this process? And he said no. And look at where we're going a year later. Mm -hmm. Right down the road that I asked him, are we going there? And he, he said no. Well, if they're not willing to move off of anything in their scope and put some protections in that say people do have replacements coming in behind them when people are tried out, then I think you can see where they're at with this. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I mean, again, it's it's just baffling to me to see the things that they say, and uh, you know, and see the thing that the that they're actually doing. I mean, they're all over the map. There's certainly no well, concessions. Let me just comment. Yeah, there's certainly let no concessions on the. Uh, they're not taking any concessions or, or foregoing any pay or benefits. Yeah, my point on that is Robert Isom said in that video, we want to grow fleet service, we want to grow maintenance. Then why wouldn't you agree to the floors that have the current headcount if you want to grow and be bigger? I mean, that's the stuff that our members have to listen to because 
We're proposing to remain what we have, right. and we'll take the growth if it happens. What they're saying is, trust us. We're not going to write it anywhere that you have anything. Just trust us that we're, you're going to grow. And there is no trust in this team of management because they're the ones that led the Airways folks into bankruptcy multiple times or went through bankruptcy with them and mergers and acquisitions, and we went through bankruptcy. How do you trust? Trust is built around a foundation, and that has to be – we have to have that foundation that says we have a floor. And right now, that's not on the table. Their, their position is when and where directed on the maintenance side is we're going to increase outsourcing both line and base, no floors. Our proposals have floors in place or, or methods to get to where they can't go lower. And the same thing on facilities and automotive. And they have no interest in that. That tells you their true intentions. Otherwise... It would fit the box that Robert Isom created when he said, we want to grow. Well, we'd love to grow. So here's how we can grow together. We have floors. We have what we have today. And then you grow off of that. That would seem to be a fair proposal. So words, uh, Doug can stand up and pretty much say whatever he wants, you know, and, and get away with it. But words do matter when you write it in a contract. You know, contract language, the word will or shall means one thing, the word may or might means something completely different. So we need solid language in the contract specifically telling uh, what what we own, what we will do, and who will do the work. Uh, before we go, I, I wanna go back to Andre. Uh, you know, is there anything I hadn't spoke about today or anything you've missed or any closing uh, remarks you'd like to make before we go, Andre? Well, the only thing I will say is that uh, to Jerry's point, there was talk about they wanted a growth fleet service. So the question that I would have, do you want a growth fleet service with the association or with a vendor? Because, again, if you do not say what you mean and mean what you say, when you put this language together, it's going to be open for interpretation and it creates issues down the road. And we said it a long time from the onset, we wanted to make sure we got this contract right. And that's what we're doing getting it right well i appreciate it and you know and i'll speak to both of you on this i appreciate uh that you have uh stood firm you are trying to secure good language i mean it, it's important to our members i know a lot of times they get uh confused and they're not sure exactly who to believe or what to believe and you know and they see this tug of war going on but if i, I do believe that if they'll get engaged and really pay attention i mean it's it's uh it's pretty blaring Again, the, the company is all over the news. They're not doing a good job. You know, they're doing a miserable job of running this airline. I agree. It's time for leadership change, but uh, there's a whole lot of people that are involved in that process. But I do believe the people that are involved are looking, and uh, I don't see how our investors or anyone else uh, would be happy. And, you know, with Doug sitting as the chairman of the board, uh, Gary, is there anything else? that you would like to bring up or anything I've uh, missed? Now, I'll close with one thing, and I think it's a, a look back on a really important topic, and that's cross-utilization. Um, there was a statement made uh, by Stephen Johnson in the video that they implemented cross-utilization, and in fairness to everybody, that they, they did not implement that. They negotiated, and that was the negotiations. That really put in, in theory, it puts a gun to either side of our head. We, we don't accept it. The membership comes after us. We do accept it. 
the membership comes after us. And we knew that we had to make a tough decision there. But that was at a point in time that was monetary and that's a, a huge issue. And, and I will say that our position at the table, we are losing millions of dollars because it is full retro for our membership. But what bothers me about that statement is they make it out like they gave that to us. They did not give that to us. They gave us a, a pay raise. What they bought was cross utilization, which if they didn't have today, they wouldn't get the benefit of that. And if you could only imagine being at the wages we were at that time against our competition, what this airline would actually be running like, I think everybody knows that it would, it would be worse, far worse than they are today. And that did give our members money in their pocket and it did give the company the ability to, to have better performance. Although it seems 51% performance is a good number for people to get bonuses these days. And they're proud of that fact. And they went out on the ledge and, and gave that to their management team. And again, I go back to the fact that I don't ever want anybody to think that they, you hit it on the head. They've never given us anything. We've had to fight and bargain for everything. And we earn it. I mean, you know, the, the sweat of our labor runs that airline. There is no airline without us. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about a team, you know, you can't have a, a flashy running back, you know, without a, an offensive line, and, you know, and going back yeah, to the no. football analogy. So, you know, if they want to be a team, you know, and I told Doug this myself, I said, you know, hey, I'll lock arms with you. You know, I'll be part of the team. But, uh, you know, it takes more than one person and it's obvious there's two separate teams at American Airlines. Anyway, yeah, well, I won't... there's owner, there's ownership, and there's people that that play on the field, and and we're the players on the field, and without the players on the field putting on the business, the owners don't make any money, and and unfortunately, that's that's the two teams we're on. We're on teams. We may be a team. Um, the pilots are a team. The flight attendants are a team. The agents are a team, and we're all in the league, and the owners above us want to give us as little as they can everywhere. That's no different. That's why, that's why teams in these leagues also have collective bargaining agreements because the ownership doesn't want to give them anything and they have to fight for it. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I appreciate you gentlemen joining me. Uh, you've cleared up a lot and hopefully our members get some value out of this. Again, this is uh, transport workers union air division podcast we welcome you to join us again soon and thank you gentlemen for joining us all right brian you got it thank you have a great day